Hello and welcome to another episode of the CG Garage. This is episode number 449 featuring Kyle Balda, who is a director and you've very likely seen his work. He's directed some great, or co-directed some great uh, feature animations, including Despicable Me 3, as well as The Minions, uh, The Rise of Groot. And he has actually has a long, long history in animation and something that is really incredible. He's done work on films like Mars Attacks, uh, as well as Toy Story 2 and uh, The Mask and uh, several other great things. So he's a really, really cool guy and really nice to sit down with him at THU Japan. Yes, this is another one of our THU Japan ones. In fact, it's the last one that we're doing of the series. Uh, I just want to thank the guys in Japan as well as, of course, our great partners at uh, THU who have helped make all these recordings possible. If you guys are watching this on YouTube, you'll see that we actually had a whole four camera setup and it looked really professional. And I really want to thank those guys for making that possibility. And hopefully we can do it again next year. All right, we've got a couple of announcements. Uh, first, for our products, we I want to mention Vantage 2 Update 1 one more time because it's an incredible product that I'm actually working on on some projects in labs with it right now, and it's going out really, really great. So make sure and check that out. Uh, okay, in terms of events, we've got a couple of events going on right now. Uh, November 12th through the 14th, we will be at Autodesk University in uh, Vegas. I'm not gonna be there, but my coworkers will be there. So make sure and hang out with them and say hi. And we have another really cool one called the Neurathon, and that's gonna be happening in Prague on November 25th. And anyone can participate in it. It is a, a traditional hackathon, a one-day hackathon. And if you're not a Chaos employee and you'd like to participate in this, and there's some cash prizes for non-employees, so please, it'll be a great incentive to, to, to have that. So again, that's happening in Prague on November 25th. If you wanna know more about it and register for it, just go to chaos.com slash events. Again, that is chaos.com slash events. But for now, please enjoy episode number 449 with Kyle Balda. Welcome to another CG Garage where the chaos group talks. You'll know it's over when the last bucket drops. We're gonna fire off rays in high dynamic range. We know that ambient occlusion is passe. Global illumination won't lead you astray. And while image-based lighting is really swell, you need to make sure everything has for now. All right, Kyle, so this has been uh, really cool um, hearing you talk. I saw your talk, was it on the first day, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, it was really great to see that Thanks. and to, to hear your story. Uh, but it'd be great if you could share some of your, your, your stuff uh, with my audience as well. So mm. you talked about your origin story. So go back through that process. What what sort of got you excited about doing the kinds of things you do? Um, sure. Yeah. The uh, you know I'm a child of the the 80s, 70s, and 80s. Yep. Um, <laughs> so I grew up on films like uh, Jaws and Star Wars and yep. a lot of the Disney classics and that sort of thing. Uh, but I grew up in Tucson, Arizona. Yeah. Uh, which is known a little bit more. Well, the only real connection it has had with the film industry has been old Tucson, right. where they shot a lot of the old old westerns. Uh, but I was into sci-fi and fantasy and all that kind of stuff. So there was, you know, I didn't really think about a career in film or or movies. I just like to draw a lot. Right. Um, if I would see a Disney movie, I'd come home and I would like try to make a comic book out of the movie because. It was the only way I could see the movie again because it's like we didn't have streaming or or even VHS. VHS. That, yeah. yeah, yeah. So that kind of got me a lot more into drawing, um, and then even later when I would see an animated film, 
uh, I never had the thought, okay, I, that's what I want to do because it seemed like something that just was so magical that I didn't, ha I didn't connect the dot about how that people were actually doing this mm -hmm. uh, until I met a real life animator, uh, Dan Jupe. Uh, met him through a, a you know family. He was a family friend, uh, one of my cousins, mm -hmm. and um, he was an animator on uh, Little Mermaid. Had just done a lot of the Sebastian so at Disney. stuff at Disney. Yeah. yeah, and and you know he had a career before that as well. Was but, Disney um, in Florida? The, the, the animation was in Florida. Or was it in that LA? was in in LA. LA. Yeah, okay. because um, because he was so generous with his advice and his time and kind of saying like like showing me the path. If you want to do animation, then. You know, you have to go to Cal Arts. It was one of the only schools right. in North America at the time for that. And so you were still in high school at this point. When you were I had about just it? gotten out, okay. and I was, I had, I knew I wanted to do something career-wise with drawing, uh, but he, you know, he was like, send me your sketchbooks and stuff. And he, then we had a phone call, and he's like, well, you're kind of drawing like an illustrator, which is fine, but that's just a different way than animation. Uh, animators draw life. They draw the the action, and the, you know you're not worried so much about texture and light and all that kind of stuff. So it's a different way of thinking, and you know just changing that mindset, and then also just knowing that there was a place that you could study this stuff mm -hmm. uh, that had never you know I didn't know about that. Um, so he really like set me on the path, you know, which is really like a lot of what I was talking about. Uh, here at THU was like the hero's journey and how the mentor gets you on the path and he was that for me. Right. Um, so just a very generous person. Yeah, I think it's important to have those those first things, those first mentors. I remember when I was a kid, it was not dissimilar. Uh, there was this character, there was a friend of the family that would come, we lived in Cairo at the time and he mm. would visit and he would stay at our house, you know, house guest for whatever. And he was an architect and to me, that was something that was, uh, you... okay, <laughs> so, uh, to me, that was kind of like something super like interesting. He was just a fascinating yeah, person. Definitely. And I said, I want to be an architect. And I was just dedicated to that. And so he took that to heart because I was only six years old. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he helped me with that career to become an architect. And I did. And it wasn't until I became an architect that I realized I didn't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> But I know that that feeling of finding someone that gives you that mentorship and yeah. it's kind of inspiring and it makes you feel confident in the decisions you're making, right? Especially when they're so passionate about what they're doing. That can be so infectious. Yes, so, of yeah. course, of course. Okay, so you go to CalArts. That's a, mm. a great school. How did you get in? <laughs> uh, well, that, that's a, I didn't actually get into that story. That's, just, that's kind of funny. I, was, I got there too late to get into for the next year. I, okay. I, I was so like into it that I just I left Tucson immediately. Okay. Uh, found a, an apartment uh, in Valencia, California, uh -huh. and um, and I was working when I was my, my job back in Tucson was at a sign shop, like you know doing vinyl lettering and right. and sign painting and stuff like that. And um, the I wanted like so badly to know what was going on up on the hill at Cal Arts. Uh, I made like a, I counterfeited a little parking sticker for on my car that so that I could drive past the security guard and make it look like I was wow. a student there. And I would just sat in the back of the, of the classrooms and just like listened to the lectures and everything. And if the teacher gave a, uh, an exercise, I would go home and do it. And I, didn't, I, I, I made a rule for myself, I'm never gonna take any time away from any of the students who like are legitimately there. Right. Um, but I built my portfolio based off of the, 
the exercises that they were doing. So yeah, this was this was a little bit sketchy. I That's suppose, but... kind of awesome, though. <laughs> <laughs> and then I and then I legitimately got applied. accepted and yeah, applied and got accepted, uh, and went for a couple of years. Wow. Okay. All right. What was what was CalOuts like at that time? Uh, it was like it was life changing. Right. Uh, I assume it probably still is for for anybody who who's going there. This is thirty years ago. Right. Um, it was you know the the level of talent about the other students because you have these amazing teachers, but then you just have like people from all over the country and all over the world in some cases um, mm -hmm. that are that you can learn from. You know. Sure. And you know the the year ahead of me was uh, Gandhi Tartofsky and Craig McCracken yeah. and. You know, so I mean, just like people who became legends, you know, in in the industry, um, and then you're just watching them make, you know, watching Craig McCracken making Powerpuff Girls as a student film, right? Uh, and nobody knew then what it was going to become, you know. Sure. So, so just tons of inspiration everywhere. Um, right. And it was so, still yeah. very analog at that time, right? Yeah, it was all all hand drawn. Uh, computer animation was just getting started, and this was like a blessing and a curse because. Uh, Luxo Jr. was a huge influence yep. for me, and one of the things that made me want to do computer animation. Um, and up until that point, you know, the movies that had come out from ILM were The Abyss and Terminator 2. Mm -hmm. And after Terminator 2 had finished, you know, they were upgrading all their computers at ILM. Yep. So they donated five uh, Silicon Graphics machines yep. to CalArts, and you could submit a you know storyboard for a film idea, and then you could have access to that lab. So that was my second year. Okay. Uh, but the program hadn't really like wasn't really developed yet, so we did a lot of like learning how to code Unix and put like textures on things and stuff like everything that's not animation or storytelling. This was ninety ninety three ninety three yeah. yeah yeah. And I did a uh, I got an internship that summer at Pacific Data Images, mm -hmm. and Tim Johnson, who offered me that um, internship, said, "I want you to be clear. It had nothing to do with that." really awful computer animation piece that you did. It was all because of your first year hand-drawn film right. that we thought, okay, we could work with you and you know, teach you how to do this. Right. right. I, I was at Rice University Architecture School and they bought some SGIs for some reason mm. and they, no one knew what to do with them. Yeah. They sat there and they were very expensive email machines. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I was the only one that's like, I'm going to figure out Wavefront because that's all they had was Wavefront on them. And it's like, I don't know why you would use Wavefront for architecture. But nonetheless, we had it on there and I was learning that stuff there. It was just, uh, you just had to sort of figure it out, right? Yeah, and very, it's very unintuitive. Yes. Um, we were using... Uh, was it Softimage? It's not Softimage. What was the other one? Alias? Alias. Yeah. We were using Alias. There was no inverse kinematics, so yep. <laughs> you know you couldn't make a walk or anything like that yeah. without having to like keyframe every frame. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it was it was not the best use of time if you're learning how to animate. Right. You know. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Okay. So 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 you're two years at, at CalArts and then you went to PDI after that. Went to PDI. Had an amazing internship. Yeah. Um, uh, Eric Darnell, Raman mm -hmm. Hu, uh, Rex Grinion, Glenn McQueen. Uh, they were all my mentors there, right? Um, and Rex, especially, I remember. Just, I remember it was one particular afternoon where he just like did some like really quick animation, mm -hmm. showed me like the methodology of three D animation, just like made it all very crystal clear, right? Um, got to do a lot of really fun work with Eric Darnell on a film he was developing. I was doing storyboards, so just like a very rich pool of very talented guys. Um, Unfortunately, at the end of that summer, 
they didn't have any work. They were like, we'd love to offer you a job, but, but you know, we don't have any like character animation work right now. Morphing was really big. Oh, right. uh, the, that black and white Michael Jackson video yes. had just come out. Mm -hmm. um, but that same summer, Jurassic Park came out at ILM. And right. uh, you know, ILM suddenly had like, just more work than they could, could handle with, with their sure. crew. Uh, and that was the choice between going back to school uh, which had a high tuition or getting, and I got it, I got a job at ILM. Okay. Uh, and I thought, okay, that maybe I'll do that because I'll continue to learn and I can actually start to do this stuff. Right. Uh, so they hired me like fall of 93. ILM did? Yeah. Okay, so fall of 93. So you, you were there during when like, Spaz was still there? At the yeah. Point? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, Spaz had actually, uh, he came to CalArts the year before oh. and gave a lecture and talked, and he showed some Terminator 2 stuff, but he talked about, this project that he was like, it's going to change everything when you see it, and it was Jurassic Park. Right. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's been on this this podcast. Oh, okay. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, he's a pretty pretty unique person for yeah. sure. Okay, so you're you're there at that at that crux moment, mm. sort of working on that. What was the first thing you worked on? That I worked on uh, the Flintstones. Right. The live action Flintstones. Uh, did some Dino animation, um, and then I worked on the mask. All right. uh, and that I worked on the mask probably just for a couple of months, and that's when a very life-changing event happened. My my mother passed away unexpectedly, okay. yeah. um, and so I took some time off, and I barely got to finish like the shot that I was working on in, in the mask, and um, did some traveling, and kind of went back to you know where she was, uh, where she grew up in, mm -hmm. in Malta, and that with that would eventually send me on this like crazy curiosity about living abroad and everything that, that did land me in Europe uh, like eight or nine years after that. Okay. Um, but when I came back to ILM, I worked on uh, Jumanji mm. uh, and Mars Attacks. Yeah. Right. I love Mars Attacks. It's such a good movie. Mm. Uh, um, okay. So, so you did, so you, you had a really good, uh, you know, time at ILM, obviously you've done some crazy old stuff and then you, you went to Europe right after that, right? Uh, that not quite, quite. Then I was going, like any time I had a vacation, I was going to Europe, putting okay. on a backpack and just like traveling right. around. Uh, I actually went to Pixar um, oh, okay. after, I did a very brief stint uh, at Weta, uh, working on the Frighteners. Okay. Um, then I went to Pixar, uh, worked on A Bug's Life. Um, mm. I was an animation director on Toy Story 2 and then worked right. on Monsters, Inc. And after Monsters, Inc., then I was, then this like curiosity had built up so strongly about living abroad. Uh, that I thought, okay, maybe just for a year, and then it ended up being 20 years that I was there. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Where did you go? Where, where, was, the, where, where was your destination? The, in the beginning, it was, um, I had emailed a bunch of schools sure. uh, and just said, like, can I come and teach or do a lecture? I just want to, like, meet the animation community. I want to go to different places. Right. Um, and the, the one that I had the longest relationship with was uh, the animation workshop mm -hmm. uh, in Denmark. Mm -hmm. and then Lego Blanc in, in Paris. Um, but during that time of like moving around different places for the first year, uh, I had met Pierre Caffan at Annecy, at the mm -hmm. film festival in 2000. Um, and then later on he said, uh, hey, I'm doing this TV series for TF1 in, in France, yep. uh, animated, and um, it'd be cool if you wanna come and work on this with me. And- um, What was it? That was Patton Stanley. So it's like they were, 
basically some of them were 15 seconds and then 30 seconds. I think eventually he might was have done that, some. That's, wait, it was like a dog and a hippo, Dog right? and a hippo, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's so much of the minions in these characters oh, yeah. because... Um, I didn't realize they're all related. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's like, that's, I think, a lot of Pierre's sensibility. You mm -hmm. know, it's like these... These two characters who really love each other, but they're also a little bit like rivals, sure. like the minions are, and so they they laugh at each other's misfortunes a lot, but all in a kind of loving kind of way. So there's a little bit like mean love. <laughs> sure. Um, but uh, but we worked on that. We did some commercials together. Uh, we did some like proof of concepts for features and things like that. And I had been working there and still teaching, and then I started like teaching in uh, Asia and a bunch of other places and. Um, and then I started thinking, well, maybe I'll go back to the States. Uh, but that's when Chris Meldandri came mm -hmm. with Despicable Me. And um, he, you know, he, he had like a great project, uh, was looking for a studio to work with. Right. And I had been working with uh, Pierre at McGuff uh, in Paris. Mm -hmm. And they had like a huge group of really talented people. Right. Um, but they didn't at that time have a movie. So it was a really good, you know, a combination. Sure. Um, and I had gotten really into layout and staging and cinematography. Yeah, tell, tell that yeah. story because you were an animation director and there's a difference between animation and layout, a big difference. Yeah. And to explain that, that process. Yeah, during my time at Pixar, Yeah. Um, so a lot of the people at Pixar will do like a fireside chat or like a little masterclass. Mm -hmm. And Jerrica Cleland uh, was the head of layout at Pixar. And she did a, I think it was like a 10 or 12 week every Wednesday, we're gonna talk about visual storytelling and, and cinematography. And it really just changed the way that I watched movies because up until then I was really involved in the performance of the characters and, mm -hmm. and thinking about movement and acting. Uh, but this was more about where the camera is and the staging and where's where you where's the audience looking on screen and uh, Even getting into like editorial like why are we cutting from here to there and, mm -hmm. and re like real filmmaking? Um, and I just like caught that bug about that. So when I Was living in Europe and I was teaching animation. I found that more and more I started to like pull in things that uh, Jerrica had taught me sure and um, I started reading more about cinematography. So when Despicable Me got launched, uh, at first they were talking to me about being the animation supervisor for the show. Um, but I really wanted to try doing professionally, like, like now practice, take it out of theory and actually do um, some layout. Right. Uh, and with some convincing, they, they let me be the head of layout. Uh, on, instead of animation. Instead of animation. Right. Um, it was, it's not a typical like, trajectory for right. an animator to make. Because um, it would be like being an actor and then wanting to become a cinematographer. It's right. just, it's just not, uh, it doesn't happen every day. Um, so that's where the convincing had to come in. But, but I think th if you gain that skill, then it makes much more sense to become a director at the top. Right? Yeah, it's. I mean, for my part at that time, it was just really just the curiosity of sure. of doing this thing, um, and you know, it had worked out really well. So Chris said, hey, do you want to go back to LA for a little while and direct like the Minion shorts and some other marketing stuff? Mm -hmm. And then I was like, yeah, that sounds, that, that's like, it was always like these new challenges that sure. kind of drove me, so. Yeah, okay. So, uh, all right, so you ended up going uh, back to LA and starting to do yeah. Minion shorts and directing at this point. Right. So yeah. the, was that a new skill set as well, learning yeah, to direct? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because in some cases, you know, like even if it was like a small TV commercial or uh, an interstitial or, or a short film, 
there was was more of the opportunity to come up with the main story idea, you know, um, come up with like the core uh, concept for something. And, um, you know, up until then I had been like animating a shot that had been written mm -hmm. or shooting a sequence that had been written. But now I was like working more with the writer directly, uh, coming up with what was going to happen, even if it was just in a couple of minute long, long film. Uh, and then like going through the entire process. Uh, and it became extremely addictive right away to be in this kind of directing role. Mm -hmm. And um, and how different is it to be an animation, directing, not an animation, direct, directing animation as opposed to directing live action because... Yeah, the I hadn't done any live action directing up until that point. Sure. Um, so, you know, one thing I will say that's really different about live action and animation is um, I like to use the example of, of like musicians, like a sure. band. Yeah. Uh, and I think of like live action is like almost, it's more of like a live performance because everything's happening right there. The cameras are on, everyone's going. Right. Um, and you can do another take and another take, but uh, once you break down that, that setup, you're kind of more committed. You know, it gets sure. much more expensive to come back and redo that kind of stuff. Right. Uh, animation is much more like studio musicians where, you know, you can, you can tweak it and you can refine it. It's more nonlinear. Like a month later, you can come back and change that shot. It's not expensive to do that sure. as like live action. Um, so you have like all this control and you're sort of not working linearly. Um, so there's kind of, it's like, it's safer. Right. Uh, about maybe like a year or so after I had lived in LA, Chris had asked me to, to direct a live action teaser trailer for the movie Hop. And that was a trial by fire because I was like going in, the whole crew's there, the cameras are, are on, and everybody's like, okay, what, what do you want to do? <laughs> and, um, and I had thought going in the first day that uh, I would have needed to know every single person's job, you know, at least as well as they knew it, right. and very quickly learned that that's not the case yes. uh, for, for a live action director. You know, you have so much support with the AD and the DP and yes. everybody. Everybody there wants to, you know, just do like work together on this. They just want to know like what, what's the vision, you know, what's yep. the point of view here. Um, so then I just very quickly started to relax into that, into that role. Yeah. Was it useful to, to pick up live action directing and sort of learn those skills and how that applies to animation directing? Yeah, it's all, it's all related, you know, yeah. definitely. Um, even like an, even doing animation, uh, you do like a little seven second slice of, of a movie. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like you're going through like all the arcs and like, you know, microcosm that is in the macrocosm of directing the entire film. You're just zooming way out right. and like keeping everything in mind. Um, so like at the end of the day, they're, they're the same uh, job. It's just like a different medium or different kind of timeline that you're working with. Right. Um, but the the exposure that I had to live action at that point, there's an adrenaline rush that comes with it that, you know, by the end of the day, I'm like more, you know, I, I, sure. I just wanted to do more of it. So. Awesome. So did you continue to do live action or you continue? That's, that's I'm, uh, like going more in that direction these days. Okay. Uh, but the, but at that point, uh, I did four more films at Illumination. Okay. Tell us the films that you did. Yeah. So, um, so following the, the hop, teaser trailer. Yeah. Um, I joined Chris Renault as co-director on uh, The Lorax. Yep. Uh, and then P 
Pierre and I came back together again and directed um, Minions right. and Despicable Me 3. Yeah. And then most recently uh, directed Minions Rise of Gru. Right. Uh, which just came out. Yeah, so. awesome. Yeah, that's awesome work. I mean, it's really cool to see that. Uh, uh, you did talk a little bit about the Minions and how they are as characters mm -hmm. and, and how they sort of evolved. Tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> Yeah, the, the, one of the original concepts for them in Despicable Me was, um, you know, like each unique character is something more humanoid, uh, like more elaborate, like, you know, like, like muscly guys and that sort of thing. Um, and for, you know, I wasn't privy to like all the conversations that were happening around the creative choices for this at, mm -hmm. at this point, but I think part of it is like, you know, like practical production sense about how like many models that would take to, to build. Right. But also just comedically, because Gru, you know, is such a curmudgeon, uh, gruff character who's who is very funny. Right. But, you know, playing him against like really adorable, cute, cuddly minions who right. are like these bright sunshine colors and this sort of thing. Uh, there's a really nice contrast to that. So uh, Eric Yon um, took some of those original designs uh, that I think Sergio Paulus had, had you know, presented in his lookbook, sure. um, and went through many, many iterations um, <clears throat> before arriving at the you know the overall wearing uh, little yellow guys that we know. Right. Well, they're awesome. They're awesome. Well, that's really interesting. Um, let's talk a little bit about story and how how story has evolved and how you work with story. What's what's your process when you're thinking about story in animation? Yeah, it's certainly collaborative. Right. Um, you know, so so working. Uh, very closely with the writer um, <clears throat> and Chris Melodondry, the producer. Uh, and, you know, there's a core concept that, that comes up about, um, you know, like, like the minions, the origin story of the minions, Rise of Gru, how do Gru and the minions like form their relationship. Mm -hmm. um, and really early on, we knew that we wanted Kung Fu to be a, a big part of it. Um, you know, that, that just always trying to take the minions someplace new that we haven't been to, you know, with them before. Um, and I think especially when you're doing like a franchise like that, like a sequel, uh, you're, you're, one of the challenges is that, you know, people love the minions for a certain quality that the minions have and you want to maintain that, but you don't want to go back to the well and do what you've done before. You know, you have to like, like push it and, and tell a fresh story. Uh, we also knew it was going to be a 70s genre film. Right. Um, so like all, all these things started coming together. Uh, and, you know, um, Matt Fogel came on, uh, started um, writing, working out an outline. Uh, you know, the outline turns into like script pages for certain sequences. Then you can identify uh, what the core heart of the film is in the story. Um, certain sequences go into boarding. Mm -hmm. uh, so now I'm launching storyboard artists and, and we're looking at it that way, editing those sequences. Matt's pushing forward into act two or storyboarding act one. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, like more and more people start like piling onto the movie creatively. You start to have people doing visual development, designing sets and new characters and, right. and this sort of thing. Um, but story process alone is, uh, is trying to find like a visual way to tell the story that's on the page. But then you're also trying to see like, okay, well, that's a really great starting place. And then what else? Like what, you know, uh, especially if you're, like working on a sequence with the, with the minions that, you know, don't have, dialogue is not driving the sequence. Sure. Uh, even though they have funny language, it's, it's like you don't have to depend on what they're saying. 
um, and finding a situation. So one of the sequences I showed here was the hitchhiking scene from the first Minions movie mm -hmm. and um, how a lot of these ideas are coming from the board artists. Uh, once you really understand the relationships between Kevin Stewart and Bob mm -hmm. um, and how like Stewart's really pretty competitive with Kevin and like he thinks he can do a better job of hitchhiking sure. and, it, and it fails and just trying to find the visual comedy in that. Uh, and then Pierre, who voices the Minions also, mm -hmm. uh, he's um, adding on to the performance in the boards uh, with his vocal performance, which uh, you know, inevitably like, creates new ideas visually that we'll, we'll add to. And that goes on into animation. Um, and then also just to give you an idea about how organic this whole process is, mm -hmm. is that at the same time that's going on, uh, the animators are doing tests, animation tests. Mm -hmm. uh, part of it is like if it's a new character to like make sure the rig's working really well, but more so it's to be like, who is this character? How would this character move and, and do things? Uh, those, um, those tests, like in the case of um, the acupuncture uh, that, um, Master Chow does, where mm -hmm. she can kind of manipulate the guy through his acupuncture needles. <laughs> yeah. That was completely born out of an animation test that you know we saw. It's like just lit up the room, you know, right. and, then, and then we found a moment for that to to go into the into the scene. So you know, I think great ideas uh, can come from so many different places. Yeah. And then um, as a director, one of the roles is to just sort of like. Feel like where does this fit? How do we? How can that integrate? Does it have a have a place? Mm -hmm. um, and then working with with Chris as the producer, who has like a very strong intuition about uh, how will that connect with audiences? You know, like what like like what's the uh, the tone and the appetite for for this or that? Um, you know, but trying to find a way to execute all that and, and the point of view that you have is is like the director's role. Yeah, absolutely. What, what, is, what is your feeling about the evolution of animation? Have you seen it, you know, obviously from, uh, you were talking about 101 Dalmatians is mm. one of the things, you know, fr from that level to now, obviously you've seen this incredible uh, development in, in computer animation, obviously. Uh, but do you think there's gonna be something new that's gonna come around the corner? Do you think there's gonna be another change, another shift? It does definitely seems to be changing, like the technology's changing sure. all the time. Um, and I think what the technology has done over the years is that it's opened up the different kinds of stories that you could tell. Sure. Uh, maybe like a really obvious example is, is, you know, think of like Lord of the Rings. Right. And like all the, you know, the chaos of like the crowd animation, sure. all that kind of stuff that wouldn't have been possible uh, when I was coming of age and sure. like watching movies. Um, so I think that's a big part of it. You know, there was, for the longest time too, one of the big questions that would come up would be like, what's new in the technology? And, it's, and it would be like, well, now we can do, you know, clothes and the clothes can have wrinkles right. and now the clothes can be wet and they can be hanging down or right. they can be on fire or whatever, uh, or fur. And now it feels like kind of can do anything, you know? Sure. So, um, so it's hard to imagine like what would happen next and, you know, but I, I guess uh, the- What about stylistically though? Stylistically, uh, what I think is great is seeing uh, the medium being pushed into a different look, like right. Spider-Verse, right. uh, Ninja Turtles, yep. um, uh, Arcane, you know. Yes. Uh, like this, this, is, this is so refreshing, especially for me as a storyteller and as an animator, um, because you know, we're finally getting away from like, all these films looking, having a similar kind of look or the same shaders and, and that sure. sort of thing. Uh, and uh, so much of it is driven, I think, by audiences like responding and resonating with with these new new visuals. 
right. uh, that there's now, you know, studios are getting more comfortable to be more experimental. But I think it's, I agree, I love those new looks, but I think what's ironic is they're imitating looks that are old looks, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. You know, Ninja Turtles is looking like claymation, right? Yeah, yeah. And Arcane is looking like, you know, cell animation. Yeah, exactly. And then, uh, and then obviously Spider-Verse is looking like a comic book, right? Right, right, right. So it's all trying to look like something nostalgic mm -hmm. at some point, which I think is kind of an interesting thing, although I'm totally up for experimentation. Yeah. But I also think that there's influencing, like their stories are starting to get more. Arcane, let's just take Arcane for mm -hmm. example. That is a much more serious, right. serious thing yeah, that's going on. Yeah, gritty, like violent, like yeah. edgy, yeah. 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 That I was hooked on that just from the first, just the this visual storytelling. Yeah. The layout, like when they're doing the parkour, like on the yeah. rooftops and all that, just the, the the sense of like visual storytelling there, I thought was extremely sophisticated. Um, not to mention the the visual style, but um, but yeah, the you know the the mantra that you keep on hearing over and over is that. Uh, animation is no longer a medium. It's you know our genre. It's a medium, right? Um, and and that it's not only being thought of as like family entertainment. Yeah. And Arcane's a really great example of of that, where um, you know it can certainly appeal to younger audiences, but um, but there's a lot more mature themes in it and character arcs and uh, there's like you know mental health issues you know being explored and things like that. that sure. Are more serious. Sure. I also think it's interesting to see a lot of influences on animation from other countries. Like here in Japan, like anime is influencing a lot of the, uh, the ideas and things that we're trying to do yeah. in Western culture. What are your thoughts on some of that? Uh, I, guess, I think it's, you know, because of every, we're so much more connected now, you know, we can, we're getting uh, a lot more of um, medium from different, different cultures. Uh, and so you have people growing up you know, watch, watch, or like consuming uh, manga or anime who right. are in the states, you know, in Kansas or whatever, and they right. know, they know these these titles, um, and I think that's kind of opening the door for uh, you know studios and producers to to feel like okay, there's there's now we have a market here. Let's 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 go bigger with it. Let's make a like a, a TV series or a movie sure. uh, out of out of these these things. So um, so that that's. Uh, great that the kind of doors have been blown open, you know, mm -hmm. and that there's this crossover happening. Yeah, I think that's kind of nice to see and refreshing to see that, because like you said, it's a medium, not a genre anymore, yeah. which is a good thing to say. Um, okay, what about, you know, obviously there's been a lot of talk recently, and you were just so questioned, so addressed about how some of these tools are, people are worried about, uh, about <laughs> uh, AI tools and yeah. things of that nature. What are your thoughts on some of that? So I'm, I mean, I'm equally excited and scared about okay. what's going on with AI because it's very impressive and it is like, what's, what does this mean? Mm -hmm. um, it's certainly, I mean, it should go without saying that anytime like artists who've worked so hard to develop a, a style or a look and now that is being replicated uh, someplace else and they're not being credited or, or being compensated. Sure. Uh, is, is, yeah, that, that there has to be something fixed there. Mm -hmm. um, but I would say the positive thing or one way that I'm seeing it uh, in an optimistic way is that um, I really hope it will push uh, artists, all of us, to, uh, to, to break out of, you know, the kinds of um, patterns that we've been in. Sure. Uh, and like find, you know, like find new, new looks and new stories to tell. Uh, especially if you can think that an AI is going to be able to 
um, do something derivative based off of everything that's been done because that's what it's like drawing from. Right. It's uh, at least at this stage, it's not truly creating. It's just like re. Um, uh, By definition. Imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know. Um, and I I've been listening to you know various podcasts on the subject of, right. of AI and one uh, thing that I thought was like comforting and, and a little bit funny was like if it was truly a general AI with real consciousness and sentience right and you said um, make me uh, a, an, an illustration based off of like a Frank Frazetta mm -hmm. uh, you know science fiction kind of scene or whatever uh, if it's truly conscious it might just say like I don't feel like it you know, right. I, don't, I don't want to, you know, right. and, and like, that's what real consciousness is like will, you know, that, that sort of sure. thing. Um, but I showed one example, um, about character, uh, with a character introduction from Willy Wonka and Gene Wilder mm -hmm. and how, when he was working with the director, um, he, uh, it was Gene Wilder who had the idea that when Willy Wonka comes out of the factory, uh, the way that we'd meet his character is that he'd have a cane mm -hmm. and he'd be, he'd be limping. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the cane would get stuck in the cobblestones and he would fall and then the fall would turn into a somersault and he would be like, you know, ta-da. And mm -hmm. the director was uh, in an interview with him saying, um, well, why, why do you want to do that? And Gene Wilder said, because then nobody will know if I'm lying or telling the truth for the rest of the movie. And, that, and that's going to be such a big part of his character. Right. And, you know, that idea came from the human being, the actor, right. uh, who's pulling from their life experiences or what they think is going to work. And that's not something that you can have with an AI right now. I don't know, you know, down the road what's going to happen, right. but, um, but it's, it's only going to give you what you're asking for. And when I'm working with, you know, visual development artists, storyboard artists, or the voice actors, right. uh, you know, I, I would never line read uh, Steve Carell. Like, this is exactly how the guru should say this. Right. Um, because I would be missing out on the the hundred different ways he could do it so much better, right? You know, because of what he's bringing, and he's actually fleshing out that character so you know so much, right? Um, so the right now generative AI seems like it can just like give you something derivative of what's been done, right? And you're really missing that creative collaboration that you would have with a, a living artist. So that's something that I think is extremely valuable. I I agree. I think. Uh... I think that people are worried that the studios are just going to use it to save money and not pay residuals. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, my kind of theory is yeah. that if that starts to happen, I wonder what could be made that would really have so much soul to it that, that humans would respond to it in a way to make that business model sustainable. Right. You know, um, because if it, if it is only giving you things that we've kind of seen before sure. uh, and not pushing into any new directions um, or even like, you know, I could I was thinking like maybe it's really interesting to to see one time like a Humphrey Bogart movie made now. Uh, right. And it would be more like the spectacle of like, wow, that does look and move like Humphrey, Humphrey Bogart. Bogart. But do I want to watch like a bunch of Humphrey Bogart movies from here on out? You know, right. like like there's there's. I, it feels like it's a magic trick for the moment. Yes. Um, and, and, and I don't know that, you know, if we only had actors who were computer generated, right. like we wouldn't, there is like a participation mystique that would be missing. Uh, it's something like I would feel like if I go to see Cirque du Soleil right. and I'm watching the performers do these amazing things 
uh, what I'm celebrating is that humans are doing this. Sure. Uh, and that there's the danger that they could fall or something like that. Right. And you see Tom Cruise like really putting himself out there with like doing his own stunts. Sure. And that that it feels like that. It's like you know he he's creating a human experience for you to relate to in the theaters. Okay. Uh, and I think that that's something that is a little bit more abstract that we can easily forget because right now there's a magic trick happening that's distracting right. us. Do you think the same would be true for animation? And let me just put it this way: as an example, right? As a CG animator, you tell them direction, and they got to take their time to get it right. right? Yeah. They got to get all the keyframes there. They got to know what to do, etc. But what if you just talk to the computer and say, "No, just move your foot a little bit here, do this, and then, then you eliminate like ninety percent of the job that the animator is doing, or maybe the animator is doing that instead of you." Like, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think I have a pretty good example of that because um, when when you're learning animation. Uh, I think in some ways, new animators do behave a little bit like an AI, you know? Sure. So they're like, well, okay, this character needs to be thinking something very thoughtful. Okay, he's gonna scratch the back of his head, right. you know? Right. It's like, because I've seen so many times in animation that, or like people doing this. Right. And so it's such like a cliche kind of move. Right. You know, and to, and to be like, no, like pull something from your life. You know, right. like, like there's so many different ways you could show a character be thoughtful or be sad or be angry. Right. Um, let's not do like the cliche way of doing it. Right. Uh, one of the things that for me personally that makes the um, animation style from the uh, from Illumination so unique mm -hmm. is that the majority of the animators are, are French. Mm -hmm. uh, they're drawing off of like their influences and their and you know and I for me there's like a style of animation sure. that doesn't look like American style and I think that from in an American audience I think that looks really fresh you know it, right. looks, it looks like something I haven't seen before even if I can't put my words on why it sure. just has a different feeling to it um, so I think like I could maybe eventually say to an AI give me a shot where a character's thinking but my feeling today, while we're talking, and sure. again, like next year, we could be dealing with a very different animal, but, um, but that, that today you're going to get that first year student, you know, animation scratching the head, like cliche light bulb, finger goes up, that, you know, these types of, of gestures right. that are just being pulled from what's been done already. Right. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it because animation is so much more of a human experience in yeah. that way right which the computer doesn't have <laughs> yeah yeah exactly it doesn't have uh there was one of the um the picket signs that said uh, chat gpt doesn't have uh childhood trauma you know right um and i think it's like that like these are all the things you're pulling from as an artist is like your your life experiences and things like that yeah. um and your really unique point of view that gives you a way to tell, tell stories, whether that's in your seven second long slice of the movie right. or the 90 minute you know, arc of the picture. Yeah, absolutely. So you started, you were sort of hinting at the fact that you're moving into doing more live action mm -hmm. stuff. So what's going on there? Uh, not a lot that I can talk about sure. much right now, but, um, but yeah, there's a, a couple of projects in development. Um, and uh, there's been a bit of a pause with everything that's happening in sure. Hollywood right now. But, um, but yeah, hopefully those, those uh, get the momentum. Is that, is that where you feel like you're, you're wanting to, to, to go? I, well, I still have animation. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I want to just tell stories and, and, and the medium 
uh, isn't as important as the story. Right. Um, but I will say that uh, live action is like a paintbrush that I've, I really want to paint more with. Sure. So, um, yeah, that seems really interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. What is, uh, you know, to borrow from Amy, <laughs> what is your North Star? My North Star, I think, is uh, like misfits. Misfits? You know, yeah, coming of age and misfits, you know, okay. like uh, characters who are trying to belong, uh, right. trying, to, trying to figure out a way to belong, you know, um, and like this, this feeling of family, but like even like improvised family, like, like that's what uh, in a lot of ways grew in the, in the minions are. It's like they are a family that came together because they have the shared commonality of being outcasts. Outcasts, yeah. 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 Is that, do you feel that that's something that you can relate to in some ways? I think so. Yeah. yeah, I think you know, like b having been a foreigner in in France for twenty years definitely right. made me feel like a bit like that. <laughs> um, and then you know, just the the way that you connect with people who also like you know, so many of my friends are are expats in their own right. Even the ones who are who now are my friends in in the states. Right. Uh, you know, one of my best friends is from Turkey, and and um, you know, I we have a shared. We can really relate because I I. You know, he was saying the other day, like, if I said this in Turkish, it would be really funny. And I'm like, I, I totally can relate to that. So, <laughs> yep. You know. It was very strange because I had actually lived abroad, uh, you know, most of I didn't actually live in the United States until I was 17, even though I'm American. Mm. So coming back to or coming to America at 17, I felt like a foreigner in my own country. Yeah. And it was very strange. It is strange. It's yeah. strange. Well, listen, it's been really great having you on. Yeah. I appreciate this. It's amazing stories uh, and, and great, great, great work that you do. And, and really thank you for that. So I look forward to seeing these new projects that's coming out when, when you're able to talk. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much. This was, this was fun.